It's my pleasure, privilege, to be an ambassador to you this morning from the High King of Heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What's already gone before me in the last one hour has been delightful and wonderful itself. I'm thankful for the prayers in the back room, the songs that we have sung, and God does reveal His mysteries to us by His Spirit and His Word. And my delight in God's Word that I shared somewhat already by speaking of the divine library that we have, Brother Mark came behind me and did such a wonderful, thorough, detailed job of those eight verses in Psalm 119 that you ought to be lifted up with confidence in the Word of God right now. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we ought to perform and keep it, and it ought to be the rejoicing of our heart. This morning, getting ready a couple of hours ago, my wife said to me, and she usually has no cause to say this, why are you giggling? Because I was at my vanity, and she was at hers, and she said, why are you giggling? Because usually it might be about her uh, or something, but it was about the Word of God. It had blown me away earlier this morning again on a subject that I've preached before that I know quite well, but just looking at God's Word, it is so full of wonderful information, instruction, encouragement, comfort, and passion. I was just overwhelmed by it. And then Mark comes in here with Psalm 119 and just lays the same thing on us of what a wonderful word that we have from the living God. Amen. The Bible's the perfect political manual. It is. It's the God of heaven that inspired and preserved the Bible, and it's the God of heaven that sets up kings and tells us the kind of authority they have, should have, and how they ought to exercise their offices and how we ought to relate to them. It describes kings being set up, kings being put down, nations rising, nations disappearing, empires. It tells us in advance what's going to happen to the five great empires of the world. It's a tremendous political manual. There's kings that wrote in it. When you read the Psalms, and I gave you five Psalms to read last night, those were written by a king. When we read Proverbs, it's written by a king. When we read Ecclesiastes, it's written by a king. And oh, would the Lord bless you today by his spirit and bless me to help you by his word that you would all be the wise men, that we would know time and judgment, that we would know the interpretation of a thing, that we would be able to see the things going on in our nation and in the world and recognize them by the word of God. That's the source of wisdom. It's able to make the simple wise. The foolish wise, Lord help us. Oh, when we look in the word of God and we see the writings of David and Solomon, Daniel, Jesus, and Paul were blessed so abundantly. They spoke of these things. Much of Ecclesiastes about, is about civil reign and rule. So is Proverbs. And I gave you five psalms last night that can simply be called five political psalms. They are about politics. Psalm 82 is my favorite right now. Oh, how would you like to take it apart word for word right now? It's so wonderful. God called them gods and God called civil rulers his children because they, different from you and me, we're the children of God in a different sense. He's adopted us legally to, be his, to inherit all things through, with Jesus Christ. But civil rulers, no matter how pagan, are his children because they look like him in the authority they wield. Just beautiful psalm. But he says he judges them all. And if they don't repent and execute their office the way they should, they'll all die like ordinary men. 
How much comfort do you get from that? There should be abundant comfort. All in the Word of God. You, see, you find the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes he's talking about taxes. There was tribute money that was owed. And he sent Peter to go find a fish, pull it up. First fish you catch, Peter. Open its mouth and pull out the coin and give it to them for both you and me. And we'll pay, even though we're not obligated to pay. The Caesar versus God argument. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I used to love... Uh, pulling out a few of these old bills that said, uh, this bill is, re is uh, legal tender for all debts, public and private, and is redeemable in lawful money. When you hold a piece of paper that says it's redeemable in lawful money, what is that piece of paper saying about itself? It's not lawful money. And I used to carry that all the uh, man in Christ that I once knew, working in a bank, used to carry that all the time, waiting for senior management or executive management to have lunch with him so that he could ask a few questions about paper money. Where is all that going? Jesus said, show me your money. Right. Every constitutionalist that I have ever met is greedy or stupid. Ask them, show me your money, and they will pull out a Federal Reserve note, which, by its own admission, is unconstitutional money, but they're carrying it. I'm saying all of that because that piece of paper in their pockets is proof that they have submitted to a de facto government. All of that is from the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, show me your money. He said, whose picture is this? I say, who's the institution that issued this? It's the Federal Reserve in our case. In their case, it was a picture of Caesar. And he said, then render to Caesar the things that be Caesar's. If you're carrying his portrait in your pocket, and if you've admitted that he has got money printing, money coining authority over your nation, then you owe him something. It's just, that is beautiful wisdom. Who is as the wise man to interpret a thing? Let's get started so we can get somewhere. The word of God is able to make the man of God perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. This subject, though it seems a little carnal, it seems a little natural, it seems a little national, um, it brings glory to God because authority is God. God reigns over all, and he's appointed offices, and he's ordained and appointed and prepared and gifted men for those offices, and he, he stirs them up, or he dulls them down. He hardens their hearts, he's, and he enlarges their hearts in those offices. When we talk about a civil government and politics, we're talking about God and his authority. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God has placed over all authority on earth, and in heaven and under the earth. All principalities and powers, thrones, might, and dominion are all under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. We're speaking of Christ, the resurrected, ascended, crowned, and glorified Christ. We are speaking of the Bible because it tells us so much about these things. We downplay politics in our church because of the New Testament downplaying politics. That is why. Over the last year, you hardly heard a single word 
about the election other than to pray for the election. In all the updates and stuff that I send you, you hardly ever, in the 104 updates I sent, you ever read anything about the candidates running for office. We downplay those things because they're unimportant things. God is important, and who he puts in power is important. And our little tiny participation in that process is quite unimportant. But we do it, and that will be one of the things we cover. So we said or wrote very little publicly this last year. Godly wisdom trumps talking about stuff. God has saved us and taught us concerning his will towards civil authority. And I thank the Lord of heaven and earth for changing me so drastically, so gloriously. I want to be as the wise man. I was once the fool. Help me to be that wise man even more. And thank you to what anonymous giver had a package on my doorstep on Friday with a framed portrait of President Obama. that is sitting on my prayer chair right now. And I have had some comforting, appropriate conversations with him and with God about him. I am going to assume until I know otherwise, he has done the best he could with the knowledge he has. If you look at his background and you look at his training and you look at his handlers and his helpers and his advisors, they're all socialists and he's practiced what he has heard his whole life. And it has wore him out in the last eight years. We want to honor our president, the standing one, sitting one, and the elect one that is coming soon. If President Obama were to visit this church, I hope that we would give him more sincere, scriptural, godly honor than he would get anywhere else on earth. As God's vice gerent in this nation. Donald Trump is not a Messiah. He barely admits being a Christian when he's pushed hard. Let's always keep that in mind. We're looking for another Messiah to come for us. And he will not fail, remember? From Isaiah chapter 42. I hope you enjoy that election that I shared with you last Lord's Day. This is not an exhaustive study. It can't be. It'd take too long. But if you ever see the outline for this subject, the survey of it, and see all the other sermons that have been preached over decades linked in it, you'll understand there's a lot of material there. Individual points that I'm going to cover rather quickly could be developed into whole studies or sermons themselves, and sometimes they have been. When I say the word politics, I mean civil governments, authority, administration, influence, elections, obedience, taxation to it, and so forth. It's how government, civil government relates to citizens and how citizens, Christian citizens, should relate to civil government. That's what we mean by the word politics. I'm not going to talk about different parties, though I will spend some time talking about two parties and third parties. But we'll get to that in time. We stress in our church to give thanks and pray for our nation and rulers high and low. And last Lord's Day, November 13th, in our second assembly, God blessed our political prayer meeting mightily with content 
and conviction. Thank you, Lord. And for those interested, I sent you a spreadsheet of all those petitions and thanksgivings summarized by the Unger family with last evening's preparation email. And there are a few copies right up here beside the pulpit. Let's get going. Children, you should have a piece of paper with a line number one. God reigns over all. This was a point that I made last Lord's Day. I need to cover those, and we'll cover them more quickly than some of the others. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35 is one representative verse that we could use. You want to write on the four lines in front of you, children, God reigns over all. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king on earth, at that time, and the great Babylonian empire said this about the God that humbled him. And all the inhabitants of the earth. How many are excluded from all the inhabitants of the earth? None. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. That is God's opinion of the human race. Whenever you read anything about the human race being better than that, you're reading the froth of a frog. Listen to a king, a great king, including himself in the statement about the inhabitants of the earth. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? That's Daniel 4.35. This could be a sermon. Wait a minute. This has been a sermon. Wait a minute. This has been a sermon series in the past, a very long one called The Dominion of God. God reigns over all. Number two, government is from God. Government is from God. Four words. All of these rules or suggestions from God's word and God's wisdom will be four words long. Civil government is as much by God as marriage. We know that God ordained marriage in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. It's as much by the ordinance of God as parents, employment, and church. God calls civil rulers gods to emphasize them. Let's go to Psalm 82. I knew I'd work it in somewhere. Psalm 82. I hope that you enjoyed the five political psalms. There's more but they're less political than those five that I gave you. Psalm 82. I cannot hear this psalm enough right now. It is too full of great information about politics, civil government, civil rulers, and their duty to God and what God will do to them if they don't exercise their office properly. And what he calls them in order to remind us how much authority they do have. Psalm 82, verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. The mighty there are civil magistrates, civil rulers, princes and kings, and their advisors and counselors. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. And here's a parallel clause. He judgeth among the gods. This is not judging among idols. It's got a little G. And when you see that little G, 
sometimes in the Bible it's referring to a pagan idol of some make-believe god of pagans. But not in this context. And not in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28, where it describes civil rulers as gods. God gave them his title. God gave them his name to show the greatness of their office. Psalm 82 verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. He elevates them by the office he gave them, and yet he is right there among them, and he is watching them, and he will judge them. Verses 2 through 4 describe how they ought to exercise their office. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I cannot stop. Verse 5, he describes the situation of false go- of bad government, poor government, evil government. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. All the right principles that ought to rule conduct are messed up because of poor government. Verse 6, he quotes himself, I have said, ye are gods. I have said, I'm the one that called you gods. It's not England in 1911 singing, God save the king. It's not the Israelites in 1015 BC shouting about Saul, their first king, God save the king. It's God that called kings gods. I have said ye are gods. He said it in Exodus 22. He said it in verse 1. And all of you are children of the Most High. You mighty princes and you kings are like my children because you look the most like me on earth in authority, power, rule, and the consequences that they can wield on our lives. But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. All the previous kings and princes and rulers that you know about that have died and fallen and only a memory exists, you'll fall just like an ordinary man and you'll fall just like them that you despise because they fell for you to take their place and now you're realizing the benefits of power and position, but you'll fall. Beautiful stuff. Psalm 82, arise, O God. This is how we ought to pray, judge the earth. For thou shalt inherit all nations. All the nations of the earth are his. Government is from God. God ordained their offices, the persons in the offices, and their spirits at any time. Do you believe all that? Amen. The office, the person, and the spirit. Does he harden kings sometimes? Does he enlarge the heart of kings Some Yes. Does he give kings wisdom sometimes? Does he blind kings at other times? Oh, we trust thee, O Lord, and we love it that government is from thee. And it's our second rule and suggestion of politics. All authority is from God. He invented it. Think about it. What if we were in just in anarchy, just a bunch like a bunch of animals running around? All authority is from God. He invented it and defined it. It is beautiful. It is comforting. It is efficient. It is productive. I would just love to elaborate on any one of these into a whole day. Honestly. All authority is from God. How long could we go on that to give God glory that every sphere of authority, every level of authority, every person in authority is from God? To go into a courtroom of our country and to have that man in the black robe step up those steps and sit behind that bar or that massive desk 
and sit down and start shuffling through papers and some person is standing before him and he holds that person's life in their hands at that moment, he can sort through that person and their case so much faster than any three people in that room if you gave them a month to see that wisdom and to see that authority and he makes a decree and bam, it's over. That's authority. Where does it come from? Almighty God. Who's going to be picking the justices and judges in this nation for the next four years or eight years by God's blessing? Our president-elect. We want to pray for those things. I just use that as one example. One example. The fine, professional conduct of our police officers when you meet one. They're professional. They're composed. They're calm. You know, you're not calm at the moment, but they are totally calm, guarded, following procedure, standing behind you. You are going to have to reach all the way around your body to get any weapon pointed at them. They are polite. They are courteous. Even though you were doing 65 with a trailer in a 45 mile per hour zone, in a school zone. I hope no one has ever done anything like that, and I, I mean that in sincerity. Government is not by the people. Now listen, brethren, I understand that in a limited sense, if you were to write a paragraph to properly identify what you meant, you could possibly say the words, government is by the people, for the people, and of the people, but ordinarily, no, it is not. Government is by God, and government is of God, and the only government that is for the people is the one that is truly by God and of God. That's the one that ends up being for the people. It can be limited in a sense, but we want to make sure that we understand government is of God and government is by God because I just asked you a question. Is it the offices? Is it the persons in the offices? And is it the spirit of the persons in the offices at a given time? You said yes. Then government is by God and of God. And actually it's for God because it's for the glory of God that God arranged boundaries. We are not globalists. Yes, that will be a point. There, it's easy to vote. We are not globalists because the Bible is against globalism. It's not that we personally are against globalism. God is against globalism. God has set national boundaries from Genesis 10 and Paul preached about them in Acts 17. And we want to maintain them. The rest of the world should not be fed and enjoy the largesse of the United States. We should enjoy it. You say that sounds selfish. You bet it does. It smacks of nationalism, doesn't it? And that's what, that is what was just elected for our country. That's not my point. Point number two. What is it? James, what is number two? Government is from God. Yep. Number three, evil rulers deserve honor. Number three, evil rulers deserve honor. When we say that God reigns over all, he's going to control evil rulers. When we say in number two, government is from God, that includes evil rulers. Evil rulers deserve honor because they're from God as well. An evil ruler does not alter God's ordination of office, the person, or his present spirit. Look at Daniel chapter 4. I'm gonna, at this point, I'm giving you representative verses. 
I was going to include them, but I have a problem when I start including verses because once I include one and I think that there might be one close in value, then I include two. As soon as I include two, I realize there's a third that deserves to be included as well, and pretty soon there's 16 of them, and the, the, little, point, the little outline is no longer of much value. You will, right now it stands at 17 pages, single-spaced for the Christian in politics, and there's lots of verses for the points. But we're at point number three, Lord, evil rulers. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Daniel 4.17 tells us this. Nebuchadnezzar's dream included this information. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. The first part of Daniel 4.17 are the angels being mentioned as having ordered the demotion of Nebuchadnezzar for seven years to the intent that the living may know this is a political rule that we should know. And it's rule number three in our little outline, which is not inspired and will not be preserved. To the intent the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. So in those offices that God ordained, king, president, prime minister, congress, justice, God sets the offices up, God puts the people in them, including the basest of people. And sometimes he hardens those base people so that they're lowered even further to an animal on all fours like Nebuchadnezzar was. Every ruler in every sphere is evil when compared to God, but their rule stands. Didn't Jesus say about fathers, all fathers of his church, if ye then being if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much your heavenly father. God uses both good and bad rulers in any sphere, and we are duty bound to obey. Children and wives want to know what to do at some times, and so there's been a sermon preached. What if my husband's a fool? We tell them to honor the office. No parent in here is perfect. Children, we understand that. Youth, we know that we're not perfect. But you should obey and honor your parents for the office they hold. And the person that is in that office over you, God chose them as well. And the problems they're going through right now that are affecting your life, God chose that as well. You say, but it's because they're being lazy and not ruling their spirit. God chose that as well. They'll be held accountable but God chose that as well for its effect on your life. That is how thoroughly we believe in authority. Otherwise, we then blame the father for being a moody child and tell the child to walk. We don't do that. We don't do that on any level of authority. There's a process to follow. We'll get to that process. A forward boss. How about a forward boss on the job? far from justifying contempt, creates opportunity if we trust the word of God. Does God know that you have a forward boss? He tells you how to respond in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. Number four, God delivers his people. God delivers his people. So many verses could be raised about this one. Where do you start and where do you finish? So we could pick almost anything. 
So I'll just pick Psalm 44 and verse 1 and see how it sounds. Psalm 44 and verse 1, though we want the sense. Psalm 44 and verse 1, We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old, how thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantedst them, how thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them. But thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Beautiful. Beautiful. That is national praise. Listen. Really, there are some ways in which Israel exceeds us in these verses. Are there some ways that we as Americans exceed the Israelites in these ways? Has God had a favor toward this nation? He has favored it in so many ways. We enjoy many things they didn't, couldn't even imagine that we have. God delivers his people is number four. He hears the sighing of his people, whether they're in Egypt or it's 2016 in America or it's 2017 about May when you're very disillusioned about the president that we have next year, which could happen. Our trust is in the Lord because God delivers his people. Do not frustrate him. Since he told you, he rewards those with faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Recall past deliverances throughout the Bible, from Peter in prison in Acts 12, to Paul being delivered out of Jerusalem when there were 40 men that had sworn to kill him, from Paul being delivered from Caesarea when the Jews asked Agrippa and Felix, if he could testify in Jerusalem to being delivered in Rome in his own rental house. God delivers his people and you should trust that and believe that. Number five, worry never helps anything. It never alters circumstances, for worry is only internal dysfunctional thoughts. It steals peace, destroys faith, and causes indecision. Row number five, or rule number five is worry never helps anything. Refer to rule number one above, the panacea for perfect peace. God reigns over all. Number six. Yes, I could talk about chicken little. The sky's going to fall. The sky's falling. Oh, stop that. Fold up your wings and go home and enjoy something good to eat. Quit worrying. You know, there's little stories like this to teach us lessons. As Americans, Chicken Little is a story to teach us a lesson to stop worrying about the sky falling. You say to me, why are you bringing up fairy tales or nursery rhymes or that kind of stuff? Go to Ecclesiastes 11 and see if it has a scriptural basis mm -hmm. about looking up at the sky and worrying about it falling. He that observeth the clouds shall not sow. Stop worrying about the news. Just go to work and do your best. You have a heavenly father and a paymaster in charge. What was that rule? He always delivers. Sometimes he's delivering you from trouble. Sometimes he's delivering a big present. Take that deliverance in any way you choose. It's still true of our God. Number six, faith will be rewarded. Faith will be rewarded. It means nothing for you to think or say that you believe God is fully sovereign. How will you respond to the other candidate or party winning? Full of faith? How will you respond to your candidate or party winning? With Messiah hope or faith in God? 
Where do you rank your spiritual privileges? Some of these things I said last Lord's Day, this rule I mentioned last Lord's Day. How much time do you spend in following politics or following preaching and prayer? A real measure of faith and virtue is doing what is right when tempted to do wrong. And in politics, things arise, events occur, people are put in positions of power that causes some angst. And when we submit to them because of the offices from God, they are from God, and their present conduct is from God, when we respond properly, we show our faith that way. That's number six. Number seven, our duty is prayer. Our duty is prayer. God called for prayer for the Jews' oppressive enemy Babylon in the Old Testament. God called for prayer for the church's oppressive enemy of Rome in the New Testament. We give thanks for them and their benefits, and we pray, supplicate, and entreat God for our rulers. I showed you Nehemiah praying before and during his approach to Artaxerxes, and it worked. Prayer is our duty. As soon as those people, under an oppressive government, far from home, had news worse than ordinary, what did they do? What did Esther do? When the decree went out for the genocide of the Jews, fasted and prayed for three days, what happened? The genocide of all the enemies of the Jews. That's a nice reversal of fortune. How did it occur? Fasting and prayer. Prayer is our duty. It's the most powerful thing we can do for anything in our lives, especially civil government, since that is the least influenced by you or me above us. You know, when you pray for your husband, you can be an extra good wife. When you pray for your parents, you can be an extra good child. When you pray for your government, they're never going to know what you're doing. But God does. And he has honored our congregation. Number eight, prayer without anxiety works. Sorry about the word, children. It's A-N-X-I-E-T-Y. Prayer without anxiety works. Prayer works when we're not careful, when we live a carefree life and we trust God so much that we can do it without carefulness. That's taught in Philippians chapter 4. The three Hebrew children said as they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, who was very angry at them, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter, O king. We are not worried or fearful because our trust is in God. And whether he delivers us from your fiery furnace or not, Look at that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith we should have when we pray. Whether our God delivers us from your fiery furnace or not, we will not bow down to your image. God wants your trust that he will take care of you well, better than the lilies of the field, better than the ravens. He'll take care of you. Doubters, if you doubt, if you have anxiety, that means you doubt. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. After doing your reasonable best, even at the polls, go to bed. Or stay up till 2.30 and watch the results. Then go to bed. Sleep till noon. Or whatever you needed to do after staying up that long and being that excited. I'll bet you didn't sleep very long. I didn't do any of that. Psalm 127 tells us, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. He doesn't want you eating the bread of sorrows when you come to him. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. He wants his beloved to sleep and enjoy life. He's our heavenly father. He's not our heavenly tormentor. 
He's our heavenly father. He's made these kings to be our nursing. I will not illustrate it in the pulpit. Nursing fathers and nursing mothers. There are shepherds. There are fathers. They're for our good. They're ministers of God to us for good. Believe it. Embrace it. Enjoy life. Plant vineyards. Marry your children off. Enjoy your wife. Preppers are at the next gun show to make sure they're not behind in what kind of a shotgun they own. Number nine, rulers answer to God. Number nine, rulers answer to God. They don't have to answer to you. That wouldn't help them at all. They answer to God. He has the wisdom and he has the power to punish them, move them, change them, direct them, defend them, protect them. You know, the verse that we like to use is Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8, which says that if you observe or see the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. Don't let it bother you. Don't let it worry you. When you see some legislation passed, and listen, your hope right now is really high. You've set your hopes high because of what happened on election day a week and a half ago. What if a few months from now you see legislation passed, you can't believe it. You're slapping yourself upside the head because this wasn't supposed to happen. We, we elected a, a, a hero and a savior for America. No, don't forget it. Right. Forget all that. When you see violent perverting of justice and judgment in a province, marvel not at the matter. Don't let it work you up. Don't let it change anything. Because God sees it and God is higher than they. You are way lower than they and there isn't a single thing that you can do in the least respect to influence them except to pray to the one that is above them who happens to have a relationship with you and not with them. Especially when they're living wickedly and they're passing the legislation that violently perverts judgment and justice. He, God's on your side. Pray to him. But don't marvel about the matter. It's going to happen. I fear it. I fear it happening. I pray for it not to happen. Rulers answer to God. God used Sennacherib to chasten Israel, but as soon as he was done chastening Israel, he pounded Sennacherib. All described to you in Isaiah 10, which I've had you read a couple of times in recent months. There is a king over all kings and a prince over all kings. Do you know them? That's God and his son, Jesus Christ. God judges all rulers. I've already read it to you from Psalm 82. If you you want to meditate on something real powerful, weighty, and valuable in political terms, Psalm 82. He describes good government. He describes the role of government. He describes the authority of government. He describes what happens when government doesn't do their job. He describes what he'll do to rulers that don't do their job. It's it's beautiful in just a few verses. Mm -hmm. Rulers answer to God. Number 10. We're strain, strain, uh, don't, don't put the word were down. Strangers and pilgrims here. Strangers and pilgrims here. We are not dependent nor in love with citizenship in America. We seek a heavenly country, as we read from Hebrews chapter 11 last Lord's Day. We do not trust human rulers. We don't put our trust in princes, as Psalm 146 tells us. So we are not in despair over their faults. We do not get attached to things here, so no disappointment when they disappear. We set our affection on things above to love Christ appearing, our true king and ruler. 
That's number 10. Number 11, keep perspective by history. Number 11, keep perspective by history. Our national situation, as much as we have to dislike, is still the best combination of blessings ever experienced. The most educated political scientist or theorist does not know true world history. We know it. We know how the earth was divided. We know the earth was all together and spoke one language. Do you know how much you know about politics? I just wish you'd think about it. Has there ever been an earthwide calamity? Yeah, they all drowned except eight. Well, who made the difference in the eight? What means of transportation did they have? What was their route of survival? We know it all. We know all that we need to know. Anything that is not written in God's word, you don't need to know it. What we need to know is here, and it's a beautiful political manual. Who is as the wise man? Learn the whole book. It tells us so much. We have all the family trees of the earth laid out for us in Genesis after the flood. You ought to see a real King James Bible. You ought to see a real Bible from the past. It had all those family trees laid out in chart form for you to see the families of the earth and how they developed and filled the, the nations of the earth. So It's in our Bible. We have a family tree that starts with Noah and his three sons. And by them was the whole earth populated. Oh, Lord, forgive us for ever neglecting your word and reading anything else. Yes, there's time for other things once in a while, but let's feed ourselves on the word of God. Right. And you young men, who is as a wise man? Keep perspective by history. Whether individuals or nations, kings or citizens, or destruction of all enemies, God wrote it down for us. You do not need their revisionism. Do you know what revisionism is? History being rewritten to fit the agenda of socialists today. As they try to make history fit their agendas. Current events are minor. The wicked lives of politicians. Legislation that affects only them and other perverts in our country. Who cares? We can just keep right on living the same way. They're, they're not hindering us at all from opposite sex marriages. Even if we get weird. It may get weird to, be an, to have an opposite sex marriage. You say, right. that couldn't happen. <laughs> Would it ever... If I had asked a church 150 years ago, there may come a time when you're weird for not having a piano and an organ in here. They, oh, come on. It's, we're here. We're weird. We don't have any musical instruments. Things are going to change, but let's keep our perspective right as long as they continue to allow us to marry opposite sex. Marry! Right. The sooner the better. Whatever that means. <laughs> Compare Israel and all of its wars, and God's dealings with them up and down, judges, no judges, foreign power, judge, foreign power, judge, foreign power, back and forth, judges, then a king, fighting kings, opposing kings, civil war, all of it in the Bible for us to learn from. Keep perspective by history. The Roman wars, the Islam wars, and how close they got to taking Europe on a couple of or three different occasions almost took Europe. You don't even know that history because it's not taught enough. The Islam, now you can look any of these things up that I even mentioned. Just type in Islam wars in Europe 
and it will show you how close they got to taking the whole continent of Europe. But the Lord delivered. The gospel continued. So we have Christian nations. Even if they're Christian nations, they're better than moon-worshipping nations. And when I sent you that little one-minute clip last night, it wasn't to be foolish. It was to show, show you that in 1911, when King George V was coronated in England, they said and sang, God save the king. Where did that come from? 3,000 years earlier from the word of God. I want to know how much lip service is given to God in Russia when Putin takes office. China. Reference to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Number 12. Internet creates foolish fear. Internet creates foolish fear. World events unknown before are diced, sliced, and spun to sell web advertising. Details and opinions of anyone are published. Anyone can publish anything which is bad for every man is a liar, according to Romans 3.4. Social media allows lies and slander that just recently were impossible to spread, and it can be spread so easily and freely by anyone. Extreme liberals or conservatives, communists or preppers, can spread their lies by the Internet. So there is this unlimited amount of reading material some of it enhanced with drawings or photo- photography or videos, video clips, unlimited supply of lies. One source of truth still stands. It is the lamp for your feet and the light for your path. This book right here. We are now under a tsunami of the information explosion, the likes of which no one has ever seen, not even five years ago. Things have drastically changed in the last five years. This is all the more important. This is why I'm going over this right now. This is why rule number 12 is the internet creates foolish fear. There is no definite article in front of that internet. Four words. Internet creates foolish fear. (coughs) Snake oil salesmen were very limited in the past. But now there is no limit at all. You know, when you heard the clanging of the pots and pans and the guy with his mule was walking into town, I'm thinking of some town out west that I've seen on some western, and he's trying to sell you these potions that are going to cure every physical malady you've ever had. That was a snake oil salesman. That's where the word and expression came from. Now they're all over. Number 13, carnal Christians are threat. Carnal Christians are threat. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 is a wonderful verse about what, we, what dangers and threats should we actually be worried about. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. When Paul, our apostle, is writing another minister and you get to peek into God's library where he has archived Will you please appreciate what you have in a Bible? My wife in the last 24 hours has said to me on three different occasions, I have loved 1 Timothy and the simplicity of our religion and how Paul made it so simple to Timothy. This is Paul's warning. This is private correspondence. Paul to Timothy, the greatest apostle 
to his greatest minister, wrote a private letter. God found it, preserved it, archived it, stuck it in the divine library so that you can go read. What warning would the greatest apostle write to his greatest minister about a real threat and danger? It's right here. I have tried to emphasize this to you for 10 or 15 years. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. The perils are not communism. The perils are not AIDS. The perils not famine. The perils not illiteracy. The peril is not anything that anyone thinks about today. The peril, the danger, the threat is a watered-down, compromising, effeminate, worldly brand of Christianity and Christians. And yes, I've yelled on that over and over, and yes, you should know it, but we have new hearers in here. And guess what? You need to be reminded of it almost every week, lest you become a carnal Christian. Carnal Christians are threat. Number 14, we have insider information. We have insider information. Every nation has classified information, but we have classified information about the whole world. We know things about political angels they cannot even imagine. Won't go there right now. We'll get there maybe in a little bit. We know the most influential, persuasive power in rulers and voters. We have insider information. Remember? Misfiring? Synapses? God's children. Think about, think about prophecy in the Bible. God's children knew Cyrus the Persian would overthrow Babylon before he was born and before Babylon was a threat. Hello? Now that's pretty, that's insider information. Does our government know what's going to happen five minutes from now? No. Does it know what's going to happen five months from now? Not a chance. Do you know what can happen in five months? God's children knew that Cyrus the Persian would overthrow Babylon. And about Greece, well, Greece was nothing but goat herders. Do you know that in Daniel chapter 8, you're hearing about Greece during the Babylonian Empire? Go trace it out. Unbelievable. You're in that library. Oh, Lord. This is the attitude we ought to have. This is the attitude Mark taught us to have. Oh, Lord, which one do I want to pull? Yes, fulfilled prophecy. It's got to have the book of Daniel. It's got to have the 40s of Isaiah. And you pull that volume off and you sit down in that overstuffed chair. You put your feet up by the fire. It's the most wonderful experience there is on earth. I was laughing in my bathroom. I wish I could share with all of you what I've experienced in my life and rank it compared to the pages of Scripture. But David did it for us. And Mark shared that with us. We have insider information. We knew about Greece when Greece was nothing but goat herders. We knew about the rise of Rome during the Babylonian Empire. And the Roman Catholic Church before Romulus and Remus were suckled by the wolf. Hello? Yeah. That's the, that's the political wisdom of Rome. Romulus and Remus were suckled by a wolf. We knew about Rome. How early did the church know about Europe? The 5th century B.C. Was there a Europe? A European Union? No, nothing like it. A bunch of savages. But Daniel started writing about 
the Roman Empire disintegrating in 476 AD, and ten little horns springing up, the ten nations of Europe out of the ruins of Rome. Do you appreciate the Bible? you got to learn it. It's fun learning it. I wish I'd have started earlier. You Bible quizzers, I wish I had been a Bible quizzer. My brother and I would have loved Bible quizzing. We didn't have that privilege that we knew about the European Union and we know where it came from, why nations would get together and give their sovereignty to the popes of Rome because God hath put his will in their hearts. Roman, Revelation 17, 17. Now, brethren, on the internet, we, we're still under 14. We have insider information. If you can read something on the internet or in a book or in a pamphlet, no matter the source, it is not classified or insider information about our nation. Sorry, not ever, not once, never. You never know what is really going on, even with your local sheriff or the president or the janitorial staff of your local high school. One more before we break. 15, angels are active politically. Number 15, angels are active politically. Gabriel told us in Daniel chapter 10 about angels operating behind the Persian and the Greek governments early on. The angel the Lord killed, Herod Agrippa I for pride in Acts chapter 12 and for killing James and for trying to kill Peter. God sent a lying spirit to Ahab through his prophets to get him killed in 1 Kings 22. Number 15, angels are active politically. Our God is the Lord of hosts. What does host plural mean? The armies of heaven, of angels. The angelic armies, Lord of hosts. He has an innumerable company of angels at his disposal, one of which could take on any human combined foe of earth's power. He's called the Lord of hosts 235 times, the God of hosts 39 times, Lord of Sabaoth two times. Lord of Sabaoth is a New Testament version of Lord of hosts. Sabaoth standing for hosts. When you read Sabaoth in one of our hymns that we sing, it's not referring to the Sabbath. It's referring to the hosts of the angelic armies. And they're ours. They are our servants. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that the good angels are our servants. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that in the New Testament church, kingdom, submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, following him and believing the gospel, you are brought into union with an innumerable company of angels that are the standing army of Mount Zion. Can, can you fathom that? And they sing praises. When you get to Revelation chapter 5, worthy is the lamb, that is coming out of the mouths of the angels. All they can say is worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's the four and twenty elders that sing about him redeeming us to God by his blood because the angels weren't redeemed. Then all the creatures break into praise. But those angels, those mighty angels, those powerful angels are our servants. They're part of our kingdom. And they are active politically. There are angels assigned and mighty ones at that to the church. What was the mightiest angel assigned to the church that is identified for us in the book of Daniel? Michael. Michael. Gabriel admits that Michael was his superior. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, there are watchers over political events. You know, this, I covered this last Lord's Day. I'm just referring to it again. It's, it's number 15. 
God sends angels to watch and to order things and to bring about things in nations, and they do it. God sends them to mark those to be saved who sigh about the abominations of a nation and to slaughter the rest. That's Ezekiel chapter 9 from beginning to end, preached to you in a long sermon. Angels are active politically. These are 15 rules or suggestions from the Word of God about the Christian in politics. Oh, we have a great God to trust in. We can live and rejoice and serve Him with all of our might, come into His house and realize the great blessings that we have in Him, the position that we have in Him, the power that we have with Him, regardless of what the politics of the world and the nation are doing. May Jesus Christ be praised.